this is definitely my my heart's work offer it from yeah that really deep place within me and it it took a while for me to actually speak about it i was doing it secretly for for a really long time and really scared to to speak about the work that i was doing so it feels it feels good to finally be here and and speaking about it in more transparency and and in openness because it my my interest is it sounds cheesy but it's the liberation of of the human collective and there's so much suffering out there and like the the salve is here it's here like the the awakening is here i'm serving that for those people who are ready to step into their healing hey everyone welcome back to rupert radio what is up are you excited to learn something today well i hope so because today i'm speaking with aga pastavska She's a world-class psychedelic facilitator based in Vancouver, Canada, and she works in Mexico. And really, it's a huge treat to share her knowledge and perspective with the broader world. For a number of years, Aga has been an underground therapist, and it really is a unique time in history that she feels comfortable now to come out and speak openly about the kind of transformational journeys that she is helping to facilitate. Throughout the course of our conversation, some of the things we talk about are the common pitfalls of psychedelic therapy, how to avoid them, set ourselves up for best outcomes. We also get into the ego and how to insulate from the nefarious temptations that might come along with putting ourselves on pedestals whenever we're doing healing work. We also talk about who is doing the healing work or where does the healing outcomes come from? Is it the therapist or the medicine or the clients? I think that's a really important topic and something we get deep into. And finally, we just talk about practices and principles that can lead to a more empowered life of purpose. Some of those techniques include somatic scans and artistic exercises. And yeah, I just want to chime in to say that Aga is truly an incredible human being. And I've had the really good fortune of knowing her for a number of years now. And I am so, so excited for everyone to get a little glimpse into the magical world that she's helping to create. So without further ado, let's dive in. I thought maybe just to kick it off, um, one of the most appropriate things we could do is have you introduce yourself and who you are. And one of the ways that I'd love to do that is to hear a little bit about your origin story and how you were first introduced to plant medicines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my story starts off a decade ago, actually. I'm 31 today, and it was about the same time 10 years ago where um, I found myself living here in Vancouver. I was training to be um, an actress for film and television. I was severely depressed. I didn't even realize I was using... I was binge drinking alcohol and I was getting into drugs just to just get through living. I was in a very unhappy relationship. Uh, didn't know how to leave it. Didn't know how to express myself. Didn't express my boundaries and just completely lost, but didn't know because on the outside looking in, I was doing everything right. You know, I was working my nine to five. I was living for the weekend and everybody, everybody else was doing it. And, uh, one day, um, my I get a call from my mom and my brother, who at the time were living in Ecuador in a little town called Vilcabamba, the Valley of Longevity. And my 
that side of the family, like my mom's side of the family and my brother were very much like black sheep of our family. They're totally against the grain. My brother had been into ETs and um, free energy machines and Nikola Tesla. And they were, they got fed up with the system and they went to go live in Vilcabamba to live off the land and, and build their biodomes and, you know, be, have their human rights, like the more liberated li- way of living. And he invited me to come down there. He's like, you got to come down here. You know, you got to get out of what you're doing. Uh, there's a different way of being like, come out here. I'll pay for your ticket. And I went out there and, you know, the second day that I land, he's like, Hey, you got to go try this ayahuasca stuff. It's, it's great. You <laughs> do it. You do it in a teepee. There's a shaman you like puke and it's psychedelic and, and that's all he told me. And I, at that time, that time, I'm one that needs very little context. Um, I had been quite spiritual and into yoga and chakra and energy and Reiki and all that stuff. And I was quite open, but also didn't know how to navigate those realms. So I used alcohol as a way to escape. And so when I, and I sat for in ayahuasca for the first three days, three days in a row, it transformed my life. That's where like, reality came in. <laughs> I was like, this is what real life is. Everything else, everything that you've created right now doesn't matter. That's a dream. You're so, you're so disconnected from what life is actually really about, from true love, from true connection. Um, and, and it made it easier that in that, in that ceremony, I also found one of, uh, one of my partners that the, ended up being my partner for two years who was training to be an ayahuasquero. He was deeply involved in, in shamanism, in um, the Shipibo culture, and um, beautiful, beautiful medicine man. And, but basically those, those three nights was my awakening. Three ayahuasca ceremonies in a row, and they were the worst ceremonies. Like you go into this after, like I have so many stories of space being held just ridiculously. The, the shaman was like just in a sweatsuit, sleeping, snoring half the time. Like wow. energy was chaos was everywhere. And if anybody's been into an ayahuasca ceremony, there's lots of purge. It comes out the top and the bottom, and it's just everywhere. <laughs> but I'm still in this beautiful, magical place. Um. And that's when I when I, I came home, um, you know, two weeks later, and I couldn't go back to my old way of living. I quit my jobs. I was working at a bar. I was working coat check at a at a stripper's joint at the penthouse here in Vancouver. Um, quit my job, left my partner, all of that, and went back. And I dedicated my the next three years of my life to sitting with these plants, with sitting with ayahuasca, sitting with wachuma. Anytime there was a shaman coming into town, I would, I would sit in, in, in ceremony and, and do my work, do my processing, learn about these spaces. I and mean, these spaces just felt like home, like such a tangible feeling of why can't life just be like this? Hmm. Like just this so deeply connected to, to our hearts and to each other. And yeah, and a part of me was was chasing was chasing that place. I didn't realize until after I was kind of uh, using it recreationally in a sense because th- those places were just so beautiful. But realizing that the deep trauma, the deep layers that was that were being purged. And when I was 23, 24, that's when I was in Pucallpa, Peru, um, working at a ayahuasca s- center with the Shipibo tradition. And I was training to become the manager to take it over. Um, and, and that's when I knew that these plants were going to be in, in my life. Like, this is what I want to be dedicating my life to. You know, I was helping with integration. I was helping um, with um, 
what's it called? Yeah, with integration. I was helping with integration, with yoga, with breath, and helping witnessing people in epic transformations, rapid overnight transformations of depression, of PTSD, of anxiety, of self-worth, of eating disorders, just like anything, any, any wound, any human problem that came people like people came with into these spaces overnight gone or they could finally feel like the glimpse of themselves or love or connection for the first time in their life and it was so evident that okay this why doesn't the whole world know about this mm-hmm. and um and so that's when that seed was planted and been studying plant medicine since then and working with uh with mushrooms working with bufo with combo studying yoga studying uh, pneumosomatic integrative body breath work. So studying trauma, it's like all the pieces just started coming through. The plants started teaching me. I've ended up um, meeting the perfect people to teach me the next, the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, I have this, this tool belt just from being in those spaces, being around those spaces, taking the trainings and also doing that extensive work on myself and living in the jungle um, numerous times and yeah, hundreds, if not going into thousands, not thousands, maybe like hundreds of ceremonies later. Um, this is, this you, is, you this could is be probably close to a thousand with what I've heard from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's, that's a bit of that orange, the origin story was yeah. Deep, deeply, deeply depressed, alcoholic, lost, to finding finding the plants and the plants teaching me and guiding me through um, to mm. where I am today. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'd be curious to hear where you're at today. Yeah. So today, um, now I've transitioned into moving, working with Bufo, Bufo, Bufo Various and 5-MeO-DMT and Combo and work moving into retreats actually and integrating breathwork into conscious connected breathwork into the practices and really um, hmm, offering proper integration or proper preparation, having that experience and then prepare uh, integration, applying both the shamanic um, practices and the psychotherapeutic approach to these medicines, because you can do really, really deep work in these spaces. So, that's that's where my practice is led is how do we help um, prime somebody for the experience and then how to actually harvest meaning um, and healing from that experience and then integrate it and weave it into their life so it's um, yeah full full a full bodied therapeutic approach mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot to go in there um I just ask, what is uh, Cambo and Bufo for anybody who maybe hasn't heard of that before? Mm-hmm. So Cambo is an Amazonian frog medicine. It's the secretion of the frog and you apply it to the skin and it's not a psychedelic. It's not psychoactive. It more works on the energy body, on the pain body and the physical body by inducing a purge. Um, anything <clears throat> that is in the field that is like what's called like dense energy or what they call panema. My acupuncturist calls it evil chi, um, mm-hmm. unintegrated emotions, but also toxins, heavy metals, people who are recovering from addictions and have had used street drugs, like all that stuff is still in that in the vessel and it's clouding, 
clouding our being, it helps to release that. So we become more attuned with our, the true essence of our being. And combo is really an excellent primer for psychedelic spaces, especially ones uh, in plant medicine spaces like ayahuasca or ibogaine or wachuma, ones where you're expected to purge. Combo is really great at that because it's it's like getting the the foam off the top. It's like the if you're looking at the uh, a, a cup of beer or a mug of beer, <laughs> someone explained that it's like getting the foam off so you can get to the deep stuff in your journey. And um, so the frog, the combo frog, lives up in the Amazon in a tree. Bufo is a toad and it lives underground, found in the Sonoran Desert. And in, um, in Colorado, I believe as well. And so the toad lives underground. Frog lives up above in a tree. Frog is not psychedelic. Bufo is the strongest psychedelic known to mankind. It's 5-MeO-DMT. It's the fastest acting. It's um, you, you smoke the medicine. So I'll take a step back. It's the um, both are secretions. The toad is the, um, the secretion of their gland. You squeeze it out and it's dried and it's smoked. Whereas combo is applied to um, the lymphatic system on the skin, and with with bufo, it's it's the strongest because it's it's the fastest acting and it's it's most known as the god molecule. It it's known mm -hmm. to take you straight to source to deep non dual experiences, and the the fastest thing that I've seen to date of helping people move discharge their nervous system of stored trauma and energies that are, that is cause that is causing things like PTSD or depression or anxiety, things like that. It's the fastest thing I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not super familiar with these medicines. And so um, I'm curious, where does the history, especially with Bufo, like where does it come from? Like so, what, what communities, especially? Well, this is, this is the really, strange thing it's it recently was discovered in like the late 70s early um 80s and through a pamphlet there was a pamphlet written in english about the toad the pure molecule and how to smoke it and up until then no tradition was using it it doesn't have a lineage there you know ayahuasca you know there's a lineage there of 3000 years wachuma as well down from the amazon um the mushrooms can Mushrooms have been actually all around the world. You know, it doesn't belong to to one lineage. Different lineages use it in different ways, but it's mostly it's known um, in Mexico with the Aztec tradition. Um, but the the toad just like appeared out of nowhere. Wow, <laughs> yeah, That's odd. around the time where when um, the word trauma started to surface in um, in the psychiatric uh, realm, we began to understand what trauma is and PTSD became a diagnosis. And all of a sudden this toad comes in that's like, Hey, <laughs> I can help you with that. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. I wonder if any listeners, uh, yeah. Have any more information on that that they could add? Cause yeah, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be, and maybe this just is indicative of wanting to do more research for myself. Cause yeah, I'd love to hear about that Genesis and about that pamphlet and where it came from. Mm -hmm. I also get the sense that might take us, down the toad hole from <laughs> where this conversation is at. <laughs> yeah. And, and the one thing I wanted to mention about um, the toad, uh, the pure, the active molecule, the 5-MeO-DMT is actually endogenous to the human body. We mm. make it. 
And it points to that, you know, in the Bufo community, it is pointing to the fact that like, you don't need these medicines. Like you have it within you. You are the medicine. We have, we can access these states at any moment. Mm. We just kind of, we forgot. <laughs> and there's also a kind of um, 5-MeO DMT that doesn't come from Bufo, correct? There's a synthetic you can create it in, in the in the laboratory and it's just it's it's called the pure molecule or, or five or um here in the area it's called jaguar mm. mm-hmm. gotcha and how does that differ from the organic or the one that's secreted from the toad oh and i can only speak from my personal experience we all have with any of these medicines right it's it's your relationship and how it affects your constitution and, and your consciousness and for me the toad, it kind of, it kind of takes me underground into the earth. It's a full bodied experience. It's more embodied. If I were to, it's like a red wine or like a mocha cappuccino, (laughs) whereas the pure molecule is like white wine or espresso. It's like more Mm. precise and I find more, more heady for me. And Oftentimes when I come out of a Bufo session, uh, there I can feel the presence of a teacher, of a, a sentient being, just like in with mushrooms or I, I, grandmother ayahuasca, peyote, they, they all have uh, a, an energy or a, a consciousness that's really specific to that, that plant or that animal, where I find that missing from the pure molecule. Mm, I find more so it's, it's, it's me going into myself on my own versus collaborating with something. Gotcha. I want to tie this back into what you were saying earlier uh, about um, working at the place in Peru and seeing the healing happening overnight and seeing all these really intense diagnoses come through and then people coming away with a lot of tangible growth and benefit, as well as the experiences you alluded to with a shaman in a tracksuit, just snoring and phrase or tie these together by asking like who is like how do you think these outcomes these this healing is happening is it the the consciousness of the medicine is directing it is it dependent on the setting like where's the healing coming from there's there's many factors like there's definitely the set and setting and this is something that is talked about in the psychedelic realm often, right? In, in education that you have to have a, the intention and a proper setting, right? You're not doing it at Shambhala, <laughs> right? You're, it, there's that container of a healing container. And traditionally, it's done in, in, that, in a ceremony space, right? It's, it's somewhere where you're not distracted by the environment because um, you're, you're going inward. And... Hmm. Yeah, it's it's you doing the work. You're you're healing the you're doing the work, and these plants, there are these animal medicines. They're nicknamed the great revealers because they're just bringing up to the surface what's already there. They're they're essentially like guiding the experience, the necessary experience that you need to have that's divinely orchestrated by some mysterious force. Maybe may it, may it be your consciousness or, or the, the, the great hand of God that's orchestrating all of this, but some synchronistic hyper intelligent way 
whatever your intention is, say you're going in to do Aya or mushrooms or Bufo and you're like, please help me get to the root of my depression. I'm so unhappy. Like I, I want to know. I just want joy in my life. Please, please help. Right. You, you take the medicine and it scans the field and it's like, okay, I see your problem. This is what you haven't allowed yourself to feel. This is the experience that hasn't been integrated. This has been in your unconscious. This is your deepest fear. This, this is, brings all of that up. This, these are the hidden driving mechanisms of your life that you haven't fully seen yet. Feel it. And then it's challenging when you're, when you're shadow stuff. This is deep shadow work. When that stuff comes to the surface, you feel it fully. And once it's, you feel it, it moves through the system and it finally leaves. And then you come out the other side and you're like, Hey, my, my depression is gone or my anxiety is gone or my food allergies are gone. (laughs) And it's because you got to the core material that was causing the symptoms of your dis-ease or your dysregulation or your perception of reality. You're able to get to the core material that's hidden Mm. in the subconscious and these plants, they they bring conscious to the unconscious so that you can go in and do the work. Mm-hmm. And it's that's the healing component. It's you're doing the work. It's it, the experience it's itself um, and the movement of that energy out of out of your field finally is, is what creates that. Um, the healing experience, the healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was uh, Mark Hayden of Maps Canada or where this idea originated from, but I love the language of our internal healing wisdom and the continued invitation for people who are considering this or involved either as somebody who's receiving or in supporting to recognize that the outcomes, as you say, really are um, manifested by the person who is experiencing the change. It's not so much a matter of an external person or like shaman in quotation marks, because think that can just be a lazy word of referring to somebody who is like holding the substance or handing it off. There's definitely a large shamanic tradition and that deserves respect. But for us in the West, it's often not the case that we have these people. So when we have people who are in guiding roles, it's important to recognize that they can support and they can invite and they can facilitate and they can lead somebody perhaps to the edge of their awareness but it's on those edges. It's on those points of confusion, or as you said, tension, where it really is up to the person to figure out, like, are they able to surrender it, to accept the thing that they've been pushing away or resisting or mm-hmm. yeah, is it just going to continue to plague them? Yeah. And even the word facilitator comes from the root word facile, which is to make easier. Hmm. So a guide, a leader, a shaman, whatever, like when they're facilitating, if anyone's facilitating your healing, they're just helping you make it easier. Mm. And I, I really like that, that shift. And um, yeah, but recognizing to, to keep yourself empowered, knowing that you're healing yourself mm-hmm. with, with the help of your allies, with the help of your team, but it's you, you're the one doing the work. Totally. I would love to invite anyone who's listening to this, if you don't already, to be really conscious of your language or of your internal dialogue towards your relationships, either with people or medicines or whatever. And yeah, just notice if there are times when you're saying 
oh, this thing healed me or, oh, this person is responsible for my health or my growth or my whatever. And just really question like, are they, is this external factor what determined it for yourself? Or are they simply something that helped facilitate, make easier the transition and the development in your own self? And yeah, I would just suggest that perhaps by noticing that language and noticing how there's this temptation often to give away our power to determine outcomes. And by gently bringing it back in, we might actually continue to develop as people who can affect outcomes and change the world in the ways we see fit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll put, especially like coming into um, plant medicine spaces or any kind of healing. Cause I'm also a holistic health coach um, and I do gut health and helping people with all strange of strange health complications. And uh, we come from this really broken down victim place when we've been so unhappy or un unhealthy or tired. So for so long, we're in that victim state of things have happened to me. Cause in the past things did happen to us. Right. Yeah. Right we were, there was a perpetrator, there was a victim, you know, but coming, coming out of that story also means coming out of the victim mentality where things are happening to you. Things are no longer happening to you. They're happening for you. Life, like to learn to, that's one of the teachings that's been coming through for me. It's like collaborate with life. It's happening. Mm. It's happening with you. <laughs> yeah. Right? And and to and part of that healing journey is to come out of that that victim mentality and it, reclaiming our, our sovereignty and our power and and then that we come out on the other end. Yeah, there's this um, Buddhist therapist in Boulder, Colorado. His name is Bruce Tift, and he has this incredible notion of um, when he looks back at the psychotherapeutic traditions of like the Western world, uh, which are largely influenced by people like Freud. Um, which focus on childhood narratives and what, and yeah, like you said, this victim storyhood. And he compares that to Buddhist conceptions of being. And he calls the form, like the first one, the um, developmental view, and then the Buddhist view on the um, flowering view. So the notion of like, one is your story and one is what are you doing in this moment? What are you becoming in the current state? And I was really struck by his contention that it can be really useful to look at historical records to see like what things you might have sensitivities to or what narratives you participate in. But at the same time, like at any point in our lives, all we have is the current moment we exist in. And so if we try and it's like, if I say to myself, like, oh yeah, when I was a kid, I got bullied on my size and my weight and being skinny. And if I say, oh yeah, and that's why I have trouble. Uh, I'm just gonna make something up like going to the gym. Cause I'm insecure about how people will see me. I have to recognize that, that what I'm doing by not going to the gym is not because of my childhood. That's the decision I'm making today because I'm continuing to participate in this narrative and continuing to tell myself that or convince myself that it's um, worth being persuaded by or like orienting my behavior to. Mm -hmm. Yes. I just really appreciate the invitation to be present with what is true in the moment now. And it, yeah, it might have some history that goes back into other stuff, but by 
like existing in that moment. And you get to choose like, what is my relationship to this history? Do I want to continue to like invite it into my waking life? Yeah. And, and this is where <laughs> being human is so hilarious because yeah, there's present moment. That's the only thing here yet. Yeah we have this like computer system in our, in our subconscious mind that is constantly like guiding us forward by what happened in the past, you know, like the subconscious programming, everything that was seeded into our being in the gestation period. Right. And when we're in, in mom's womb, we're getting imprints of what mm-hmm. existence is about. Right. And that stuff imprints in our core material of what, e- of who even before then, like even our ancestors, like, yeah, it gets carried on through our DNA. Yeah, what your 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 mom's 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 it's all that stuff and then gestation and then the first 7 years of your life. So you have this like deep programming and then you're trying to be present with like this freaking like you know the, the giant elephant trying to sit on you and you're trying to stand up to be present. It's it's and this is what the work is with these medicines is diving into the shadow releasing our stories, releasing our narratives, feeling the feelings we weren't allowed or, or allowed ourselves to, to feel, healing the collective because we're collect, con- connected as a humanity through what's happening now, but throughout all of time, like everything is in this vessel that we are working to, to in a sense, like liberate and, and release so that we can come mm-hmm. back from that place of pure being. And that, that's part of being the human experience, right? It's like, how do we f- find ourselves in it in this big ocean (laughs) of human existence yeah it's a big task i'm curious if we like if i'm hearing from you that it's not the therapist or the healer or the facilitator that's responsible for the outcomes and at the same time i think that we can identify that often with their help we can see these tremendous um growth or whatever And I I would just love to hear your take on, yeah, how to handle that, um, I guess, the the burden that comes with the egoic self when people, like I would imagine for you, and maybe you could just fill us in, do, do you find that the people you work with and that you help facilitate often come up to you with like, oh, thank you for finding me in the ocean and pulling me out? Yeah, there's one thing I did want to touch up on before I go into that is like, yeah, there there is you are doing the healing, but it's really there's a, there's some magic that can be done with a skilled practitioner, right? To help you navigate yourself because when mm-hmm. you are lost in your own labyrinth, how do you get out? When someone mm-hmm. can have a bird's eye view, and they're not necessarily coming and pulling you out of your labyrinth. They're just like, yeah, keep going, right? Uh-huh. Maybe not that door, but like, oh, yeah, yeah. there you go. That's you got it, right? <laughs> they can hold you in that in that mess. And when you feel held, you can actually surrender deeper. When you know yeah. you're not alone, you're not, you're not here alone. Like that's one of our core beliefs. Is like, I'm alone. Mm. When you can feel the presence of another human holding you, and also your yeah. body, your nervous system regulates with the calm nervous system you're allowed, you can uh, move more energy. And I, I love this one. Um, I think Bruce Sanguine, he's a psychotherapist as well. He was, he speaks about this and he's like, um, wounding 
happens in relationship, our deepest core, some of our deepest core wounds, we needed an other to mm. receive that wound. And so some of the deepest healing takes place with an other. Mm. And, and that's where facilitated, like what's happening right now with um, uh, the clinical trials of psilocybin therapy. It's like with a therapist because they know, they know the psyche, they know trauma, they know how to, the, the human system, the nervous system, they know all the signs and clues and they can see what's, they can read the body in a, such a beautiful way and help facilitate you through your own experience. So that, that in itself is, is so profound where the, the work is going. Um, and then I forgot what the other part of your question was. <laughs> uh, I was just wondering oh. if it, yeah, if it is the case that um, this confusion arises between you and the people you work with. Yeah. And, and then the, the people are, can be so grateful for the experience and, oh, you did this for me. And um, it, it does come up, especially those who have had the huge transformations. Like I couldn't have done this without you. And, um, and it's, it's beautiful that that gratitude is there, that that connection is there. It points to the relationship that has been cultivated, the trust, the love where once there was a mended relation or a broken relationship, now there's a connection. Mm. And I like to point to that, that, Hey, look how connected we are now. Look how loved you are now. Mm. Rather than, uh, yes, I, I did that. You know, I didn't do anything really. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, that's where, uh, I've been really recently speaking about what does it mean to be a healer? And there's so many people coming into um, maybe guiding their friends through, through journeys or trying to be a healer. Maybe they're coming into their spiritual awakening and learning about energy and wanting to be a healer. And there's this idea that like, I heal you. I must do something to you to solve your problem. And I, when I first started out in, in health coaching in my younger years, I felt so bad when I couldn't fix someone's problem. I'm like, it took me years to learn, like, I'm not here to fix your problems. I'm not helped here to solve your problems. I'm not here to heal your, your condition. I'm really here just to hold compassionate, loving space so you can be witnessed, you can mm. be seen, and to ask really good questions so that you can better understand yourself and that you can find your own wisdom. If I'm giving you the answers, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> because totally. I'm taking your power away from you. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, not a constant, but like I, I, you know, and my ego of course loves the feedback. It's like, yeah, I'm doing good things. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Right. But then it's, it's like, yeah, yeah. And you know, you and we, and together, that's, that's the thing that's pointing to. I'm curious how you, um, how you deal with that surge of, uh, ego. What practices do you have for keeping it in check? Oh my God. Shadow work constantly. I'm so, so grateful to be with my, with my partner Deus doing this work because we, 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 first of all, we work together. Right. And so there's always eyes on each other. There's Mm. always someone looking at me to see if I'm operating (laughs) from where I'm operating from. Right. Yeah. And after sessions will be, if, if we had done something like, Hey, where did that impulse come from? Uh, I saw you, uh, saw you flexing (laughs) a little there. What was that about? Yeah. Um, and, and really checking into like, what does selfless service mean? And, and, and selfless service is not having an agenda, not, it's not about my preferences or my opinions or what I think should happen. It's really listening to, to the moment and, and, and 
in having that the moment move you. Um, and so with shadow work, it's how do I keep my ego in check is, first of all, learning what the ego is <laughs> and um, learning about my wounds, right? I, anytime part of facilitator work or this is this medicine is shadow work. So to be a, a, a light worker, I know like that term being a light worker these days and, you know, in the, in the new age world is knowing your shadow and actually mm-hmm. spending a lot of time in shadow, because if you're, there's that, I think it's the Rumi quote, right? It's you don't get enlightened by imagining bright lights. It's actually going into the shadows. Mm-hmm. And so it's learning what my wounds are, what feeds my wounds, um, my preferences, my desires, and then making sure that I, they, they may arise, but I don't act on them and I can notice them. And oftentimes yeah. a sign is um, an emotional reaction, emotional reactivity or emotionally backed demand. That's usually yeah. a, a sign of, of shadow or ego popping up. Totally. Yeah. I'm just going to put a little plug. If anyone's curious, they can check the show notes and there'll be a link to a book that was just published by uh, Mark Hayden again. Um, that is how to be a therapeutic guide. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's the first um, how to manual that goes into depth on what to identify to not do, like having these emotional responses, as well as the um, everything from doing screening to setting up the situation or the container Um, but yeah, it's a really, really great and affordable. I think it's like $26, um, on Amazon, really great introduction for folks who are wanting just the bare bones literacy of how to do this. Well, Mm, amazing. I'm so happy that that resource is out there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it came from a compilation of so many people offering their wisdom and contributing different chapters. And I was lucky enough to do a proofreader and edit on it. Um, and it was already amazing before I got there and I did very little. So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's a really cool resource. It talks about this, like, what are your motivations? And I think for a lot of us that can be, I know from certainly for myself that up until my like later part of my twenties, I didn't actually consider like, what are my motivations for helping people? I just thought it was a good thing to do and kind. And it was, I was really astonished to discover when I looked at it, that it wasn't always selfless. It wasn't always a generous act. There are often were times where a part of my motivation was one of wanting to be seen as valuable or wanting to help others avoid pain because I thought pain was this thing that was terrible or horrific. And if I could help them, that that means at some future date, maybe they could help me and I could avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's certainly been a, a journey to investigate all the elements and figure out how to do this work in a good way. Yeah, you just touched on something so big. It's like our relationship to pain and discomfort and wanting it to go away. Mm-hmm. And that prevents us from actually holding space for another in their pain or in their grief or these un- these really dense emotions. And we're just like, I don't know what to do and here, fix it. Versus like, hey, how can I support you in, mm-hmm. in feeling this <laughs> versus trying to fix it? Yeah. And, and if you're going in, to fix, you know, you're doing it wrong. You're not a plumber. <laughs> you're not fixing a car. <laughs> yeah. Cause half the time we just need, like people just need to be heard totally. and people suck at listening. How many people 
are in a conversation waiting for the next moment they can talk about something or, oh, that thing you just said, okay, I have this thing. It's going to be so good. Okay. Can you just stop talking so I can talk about my thing? And then both people are doing that. Nobody's really listening to anything. (laughs) And so when you actually get that moment to be seen and heard and, you know, Mm. so much magic happens when we can actually give space to somebody to be with their experience that resolves and transmutes on its own. Yeah. And it takes a lot of strength to relax our like inclination to get in it and do something to affect change. It takes a lot of strength to trust that like it will be okay if we allow what is to exist without having to be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely something to continue practicing for myself. Yeah. And then this reminds me of like the, the constant teachings from these medicines is it's, it's they're so they're such generous teachers and they're always reminding me how to be human kind mm. we've become human mind <laughs> that's great <laughs> and we live in you know spirit embodied in reality that is all about being and feeling these all these subtle realms of existence we're talking about this earlier right it's like reality is so much more than what we perceive with our minds and what we can make with our words yet we're we're always talking about it talking about our experience or uh, explaining about something versus being in our experience and these teachers time and time and again they just bring us to the present moment and they teach us how to be the natural world is here to remind us how to be, remind mm. our mind how to be in existence by connecting us to our breath. If anybody's ever taken a microdose of mushrooms, it's like, oh, wow, breathing, I understand, <laughs> right? Moving the body, all of a sudden you're like, wow, what I can move my body and it feels good, Right. And oh my gosh, feelings. This is what a feeling is, right? It's just like coming back to the simple things we don't even teach our children about. And it's profound how when you become aware of that and literally practice that awareness, it's like, wow, like a lot of the things that I thought were, at least for myself, was a need for validation or a desire to buy the new shiny thing or X, Y, and Z, all these superficial interests are like, oh, really? I was just like, I wasn't breathing. I wasn't feeling. I was numb to what like, what sensations my body were offering. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who doesn't have a sense of this, it may seem like overly simple. And it's honestly, to me, it's like a joke. How <laughs> How beautiful it is simply to breathe and simply to like, What is it like to taste your tea? What is it like to take a moment to process the sensations of the fork of food going into your mouth? Mm -hmm. What is it like to, to notice the tension in your stomach when you get into an awkward situation and, oh, wow. When I do these things, I feel a lot more whole. I feel a lot more happy, Mm -hmm. happy in the sense of like, just just connected to reality. It's, it's invigorating. Yeah. When you were speaking, uh, what came to me was like, we, we came here to be alive. So let's be alive <laughs> to, the, to our fullest, right? Like when people are like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? And it's like, well, first of all, to be alive. So 
let's start with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, I'm struck. And, Go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, and you mentioned the numbing, right? Like we are so numb as a human species. And this is one of the teachings that's come through for me is like, um, there's that quote that we are not, we're not afraid of fear, but we are fear itself. We're not afraid of fear itself. We are afraid that we are afraid that we are more powerful than beyond measure or something like that. Margaret Mead. Mm. I want to look at our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is not that we are. Ooh, forgetting it now. We'll look it up later. Yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a beautiful quote that like, it's not fear that we're afraid of. It's actually that we are more powerful than beyond measure. And one of our superpowers is our ability to feel. We have so many senses. We have tight touch and sound and mm. um, texture and it, like emotions are inherently really intense. Yeah, right? for like, sure. Anger, joy, bliss. They have the ability to like distort our perception of reality. And over time, like the intensity of existence makes us hard, mm. makes us numb, we don't want to feel something. So we will drink. We will make, you know, get cat. We don't want to feel tired. I'll take caffeine. I don't want to feel anxious. I'll drink. I don't want this. I'll do this. We do all these things so that we don't feel all these addictions are fueling mm-hmm. something that we don't want to be feeling all these traumas that we acquired emotional neglect or abuse, or, you know, there's the list is massive. It's like, there's so much feeling that we've numbed. Mm-hmm. and then taught not not to express ourselves, right? In the conditioned society, there are appropriate ways of expression and, and inappropriate. So we have all these feelings that we push down and then we're not allowed to move or express. So we're just these numb, calcified robots. And Zombies. then the mind is just like, blah, 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 blah. and it's like, this is what yeah. the human has become. This is what the world has become. Straight up. And then- it, then we're like stuck in fear and we're so easily manipulated because we're just numb and dead and scared of everything. And that's where these plants are here, right? They're, they're here to help us be alive. They're mm. helping us to come back to our human beingness. And that takes um, a resensitization of our, of our being. It, it takes a, takes the numbing off. It mm-hmm. takes the, the, the calluses off so that we can be supple again. And it also teaches us about energy and how to move energy, how to work with our energy, how to express. That's what like liberation is. It's expression, allowing energy to move and how that in itself is liberating. Being able to express at any moment how you feel without judgment. Yes. And, and that's where these plants are taking us. And, and I wanted to, to speak into integration, right? Like we're talking a lot about what they do and, 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 um, and then um, how do we actually, what do we do with all this knowing? <laughs> Just before we get there, I found the quote. I'd love to read it. Yeah. So this is by um, Marianne Williamson. And it's, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. That most frightens us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I love that quote because um, an- another layer to that quote is um, our light is our as our heart, our heart is our light, right? This is our feeling capacity, and and then 
these uh, medicine realms, we go into the shadow and a lot of people are scared to look in there. And, you know, one of the, the um, someone who comes in first in these realms is like, I'm scared. What if I see a demon? What if I see something scary? Right. And the question is like, well, are you willing to face it? Are you willing to embrace it? Are you willing to give it a hug and say, come closer? And the secret is that's what you have to do. If you are, totally. fe- if you're faced with something challenging in, in your sessions, it's, it's terrifying because it's, it overtakes your reality, right? You, you are so convinced that there's something dark there, but when you go through it, through the shadow, facing your deepest fear, then you come out into the light, into the love, into, you know, a truer, the trueness of your being. How does that fit in with, um, well, I want to hear about integration, but I also mm-hmm. have a question for you. Um, it was a couple of months ago, I think that you posted on a social media platform about, um, the notion that there was no such thing as fear. And maybe you can clarify what, what you're saying. Cause I'm just doing a poor paraphrase, but essentially what I read was something that light was the only thing that existed and that anything that we perceive as darkness or fear, um, simply as another guise or manifestation of light. Mm. Do you yes. remember do you remember that post and there there was two posts I think there that might have been um, okay. mixed but the the fear part was I've been working with Bufo for um, extensively right now and that's the 5meo um, and I've learned a lot about the nature of the mind and fear because before you before you take your first pipe you're terrified because you have no idea what you're going into and the mind, I'll just speak to my experience. And my mind was hijacking my nervous system, like shaking all of a sudden I had to go to the bathroom. I had to like release <laughs> like a lot. I was like, no, no, I have to, I have to poop. No, now I have to pee. Now, now I'm getting really nauseous now. No, I think I might puke. I can't, I can't do this. And there's so much fear being created by the mind. And then I would take the pipe. Sure. I would have a really intense experience and then come out on the other side into love and to God of like, Oh, that fear wasn't real. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter. The mind was creating it. Mm -hmm. And this happened constantly over and over and over again of facing my fear. And it taught me that anytime I am, when I'm about to engage in something and I'm not actually in danger, there isn't someone running at me with a knife or there isn't a gun at my head. Right and I'm experiencing fear, mm-hmm. it's absolute bullshit. It's the mind creating a story and hijacking my nervous system because it's projecting an outcome into the future that is not true. Okay. And that, that, that's what I was speaking to is like fear is a, is, a, um, is a product of the mind, a product of the ego. And in, in those moments, it then filters and my perception of reality. And that that's really helpful for me is anytime I'm faced with fear, I'm like, okay, this is my mind trying to control, Mm. but I am not my mind. I am not my mind. I am Mm -hmm. beyond that. And I can observe that. And this is where the meditation we're taught over and over and over and over again. You're not your mind. Watch your thoughts. It's like, I'm not my mind. I'm not my body. I can see how my mind is hijacking my nervous system, hijacking my, my senses. And mm-hmm. I can choose to override that with, with trust. 
and connecting to the, the deeper essence of my being, which mm-hmm. is love. I guess it's just something I was curious about and I, I can't remember if I commented on it, but um, the thing that strikes me is the notion of choosing which parts of our experience are real or um, which ones we should attend to is something that I'm a little bit confused by. As I understand like for myself and what I've heard, I think I've heard you speak to is more of this, uh, like you said, like welcoming the demon and giving it a hug and when I, for myself, when I have these insecurities or fears, um, and maybe standing on the diving board and you're about to take the leap or whatever, um, I'd certainly think that there is a huge amount of that energy or excitement that's manifesting that I'm misinterpreting and mm. there's a reluctance or there's a, uh, agitation or whatever that I look around and I see contextual information like, Oh, I'm standing on a diving board and I'm like, Oh, I, it's been a while since I t- did the die high board. Oh, I must be really scared. I must not want to do this because it might be dangerous for myself. But what I find often in those situations is if I orient towards the fear without the narrative. And so maybe this is what you mean by like engaging in the mind. If I actually attend to the sensations and I'm like, Oh, what am I feeling? I'm like, okay, my stomach's tight. My muscles are contracting. My heart re- rate has increased. As I do that, I find that they are in and of themselves, not sources of pain or agitation. Those, those signs or symptoms that I'm having are devoid of an emotional or ethical component. They simply are what's happening for me in that moment. And where it would be really easy for me to like see that constellation out of the, my peripherals and be like, oh, I'm scared. That's a bad thing. I find that it can actually be really useful to notice like, oh yeah, my heart rate's increased. Oh yeah, I'm feeling really alert right now. I'm probably like got norepinephrine, like the stress hormone in my body, which makes me react stronger. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, I just, I find that like that, I don't know what the term would be, but like holistic mindfulness of what the sensations are without attaching a judgment of what's good or bad or like any of these things really helps me feel more connected and more um, aware and alert to what is real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I, I I totally agree. It's being able to come back to the sensation of the energy present. And the fact that we've labeled emotions like joy, love, fear, Mm -hmm. anger, they're just like pointing to certain sense, like a, a memorized, um, a memorized um, culmination of sensations. Happy is like this. Sad is like this. And yeah. then we, and then when we identify with those emotions and the stories come on and the attachments and the game, the mind and the ego, right. And then it's, it's so mm-hmm. easy. Like so much is happening in that human experience so quickly, but to be able to skill, like one of the, the skills to be able to be a, you know, epic human being is to be able to like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay. And uh, in the seat of the soul, I think it's called, no, the untethered soul. I forget his, um, the name of the author, the untethered soul. He talks about that is like in your human experience, take the back seat for a second and, and observe those things mm-hmm. versus identifying with them, just observe them. And then yeah. that just creates more space. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Mark Epstein, uh, who was one of the first Western Westerners to be taught meditation and Buddhism 
he's also a psychiatrist out of Harvard, Harvard. He wrote a book called thoughts without a thinker. And that was my first introduction to this Buddhist terminology of instead of referring to um, feelings that often have loaded language, like when we say happy, people instantly go, that's good. Or if we feel say sad, they're like, that's bad. Um, in Buddhism, the terminology, at least as he relates it and what I'm given understood is that we talk about excitements. So I'm feeling various degrees of excitement that is manifesting in these ways. So like different sensations. And in that is baked in this notion that there is no such thing as good or bad feelings. We may have feelings that we desire, or we may have excitements that we resist, but that is our relationship to those feelings. It's not an observation about the feelings themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's that ego and, and what you like and what you don't like, it's all conditioned. And if you're, if you're moving through life governed by what feels good and what feels bad, like we don't really grow and it's the growth happens in those uncomfortable places too. Yeah. Totally. I, uh, for myself, I often think about being in the cockpit of a ship. I don't know why, if this is just me being a huge sci-fi nerd or what. Um, but I find myself sitting in like the cabin of a spaceship and around me in like, as far as I can see are, uh, lights that are of different colors and they represent different buttons and icons. And each one of those, like you alluded to earlier, represents one of the sensations that I'm familiar with these like pre-pattern, like this is, this one's sad, that spiky one over there is confusion. That spiky orange one, or this big red square one is anger. And, uh, in the process of attending to these different excitements, I kind of notice them as different lights and, uh, flashing throughout the, my being both my mind and my heart and my gut, um, are all represented on this, um, cockpit. It's really fun to take that back seat a little bit and lean back in the chair and be like, okay, I know that I'm focused on dodging through this field of asteroids, but like, what is that blinking green thing over to my right-hand side over my shoulder? Like maybe I should, Oh, Oh, that's actually really good to know. Thanks. And as I take the time to pay attention to it, that light will often diminish. It will be like, okay, I serve my point. The like the operator, like, (laughs) like is aware of this now. And yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting experience to continue to develop this awareness and to see how many degrees of signals that come from so many dif- disparate parts, like my head, my heart and my body. And yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like part of the, the human existence is learning how to navigate energy. Like we, we talked about, even emotion is energy in motion when it, that energy stagnates long enough in the body in traditional Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine, it turns into dis-ease. We have nadis or channels or chakras, meridians, and energy is constantly traveling through. And when we unconsciously create a holding pattern, even with our breath, or we don't discharge properly, that energy or emotion stagnates. And over time, it be, you know, nutrients can't get in there. And then we have dis-ease and we can label it with some sort of condition. Um, 
And the, the skill of being human is learning how to navigate energy, how to become masters at energy movement. And this is where we come to so many of these ancient practices like breath and, and qigong and the Tibetan five movements and, you know, just exercise, <laughs> conscious connected breath, holotropic breath. Like even you can move energy, like energy with your consciousness when you tune into your, your body with a somatic scan, right? You can move energy um, in, on, in really subtle ways and, that's what also all these plants and these, these spaces, they, they're teaching us is like, Hey, become Revealers. a master. Yeah. They're revealing, they're revealing the subtle energetic blueprint of reality that makes up all of existence, helps us decalcify unnumb and feel more fully and then help us equip us with the, the skills to actually move, move energy mudras, mm -hmm. right? This is all like, this is just energy movement. <laughs> And if we can become skilled at daily energy mm. movement, we'll be so much happier. What a beautiful thought. And I, I hope that the work that you do, and I have faith because I've seen it, that the work you do and um, so many people in this community can help facilitate this transition for an increasing number of individuals who maybe are waking up to this calcification of the like large swaths of society that have just fallen into zombiedom mm -hmm. um tell me about the practices that you found for being like the most excellent version of yourself and how do you move energy mm. this all came into a consolidated thought the other day <laughs> so i'm glad you're asking um <laughs> uh, i see it as we're these like vessels of energy we're conduits of energy and when i'm feeling something emotionally, I can choose to do four things. One is do nothing. So stake with my holding pattern. Okay. And this is usually, I it's the emotion or the, how I, the analogy of being constipated with emotion. You're just like, I just, uh, I don't know what to do. And I'm just going to like, ah, about it. Right. It's stuck. So it, there's a holding mm -hmm. pattern. So most of us are in our holding pattern. And that's when we'll go into coping mechanisms of whatever, whatever the coping mechanism is. It could be over-exercising, overeating, pornography, shopping, anything, right? But it doesn't actually all, resolve it. Everything that's fun, basically. It's just, those are all just helping keeping you emotionally constipated. The crutches, right? We know when we're using a crutch because it doesn't actually help us feel better. It just puts a Band-Aid over it, right? There's mm -hmm. nothing, there's nothing wrong with shopping. I love new things, but... <laughs> when it's an addiction, you know, it's right. So there's that holding pattern. That's where most of us are. Most of the world is, but then there's a couple more avenues. So one avenue is the, the mindful witness, right? You're in meditation. You can do something like a somatic scan. You can meditate. You can observe mindfully what that sensation is, what that energy is. And it transmutes on its own just with, just with pure presence and awareness and mindfulness, that compassionate holding over time, it'll you just, just describe what is a somatic scan. I, I, I love the concept. It's something I use um, in my own life a lot. And I'm just not sure that for a lot of people, they may be familiar with that language. Yeah. Uh, I'll share it right now. So somatic scan, um, Peter Levine talks about it a lot in waking the tiger. This is an incredible book about um, trauma, really easy for the user. It's like, if you yourself want to learn about trauma, not a practitioner, highly recommend that book. 
Waking the Tiger, Tiger by Peter Levine. And a, a somatic scan is you just sit comfortably in a chair or cross-legged and you scan yourself. And this is kind of like a yoga nidra. They do this in yoga as well. Yoga nidra, you scan the body. So, okay, bringing awareness to my head, um, my eyes, my ears, and just spending a few moments bringing awareness to the different parts of your body. So mm. my right hand, my right hand thumb, my finger, you know, bringing awareness to all these areas, my wrist, my forearm, my elbow, the other hand, then my, the feet, the toes, the, the ankle, the calf, the knee, just the whole body from head to toe. If you can name every single part of your body while you do this, going into the organs. And then what you're doing is with your conscious awareness, you're actually bringing awareness with your consciousness, you are bringing awareness mm -hmm. to the areas of your body and you're expanding your awareness of your body. <laughs> it's one of the ways you can become embodied is bring attention there. We're, we're so often, but bring it inward. Once you've done your scan and say you're dealing with an emotion like grief, right? Or anger. It's like, okay, when I feel anger, now that I'm aware of my body, where do I feel it? Oh, it's like, oh, it's in my throat. Okay. Mm -hmm. what and then you give it attributes. So like, what color is it? Oh, it's like red and it's got these like thorns. And you begin to describe it. Oh yeah. It's like this big ball of thorny red stuff. And, you know, and if we were, if we were to make a sound, it'd be like, <laughs> and, and you just observe it. And in that observation, what's happening is you're no longer identified with it. It's not consuming you. And that's with our words too, right? Like I am angry. You're, yeah. You aren't, you aren't the embodiment of anger you are experiencing. I'm currently experiencing anger because I'm a conduit and I'm currently experiencing this type of energy. Mm -hmm. And this type of energy is stuck in my throat. It's red. It's dense. It's like a bowling ball. And then you just sit with it for 10 minutes, 15 yeah. minutes. And you'll notice that it begins to shift on its own time because energy, the universe is intelligent. Energy is intelligent. And it begins to <laughs> this thing. And there's a so, yeah, and there's so many different practices uh, that I, I take with this one. Sometimes you you can actually begin to interface with it. You can ask it questions. You can ask, you know, what is your outcome for me? Like, what is it, your message? Um, how would you like to be moved? How would you like to be expressed? What can what can I do with for you, right? Um, or you can just leave it. Then that opens the gateway too. Once you've identified it, what, what it is, you can um, take it into a cathartic release, which is full embodiment which I, I really love to do and like conscious connected breath work really helps that. Um, so how do I fully embody the expression of this energy um, uninhibited? And that's usually, okay. Okay. So this anger, I want to just like rage. So I'm going to get a baseball bat and like a punching bag and just smash a punching bag, or I'm going to scream or I'm going to rip things up. I'm just going to like, ah, like organically let that rise up and release it. Um, and it, it's, it's really beautiful if you have a, a practice or a space or a practitioner that can help you come into that spontaneous cathartic release where you're no longer moving it. It's now mm. embodied you and you're releasing it. Um, and this is also what medicines do. Plant medicines help us with. They help us um, get past our ego holding patterns and um, what's it called? Um, filtered expression to just the raw expression of the emotion or the energy. So that's the cathartic. 
And then the last one is creative. That's what art, art is amazing. Art is often the result of an emotional process for somebody. Or you can use it to process your emotions and the result is something beautiful. It's a painting or you just take crayons and scribble and, and then scribble and blah, and it just comes out. Or, or you drum or you sing or you dance or you write a poem, right? Or you write a letter. Like you can, you are a creative being and you can now take this energy you've identified and do something with it. Transmute it. Yeah. To expression. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So that's kind of, those are like the, the pillars of, of um, what I do. And in each pillar, you can have a practice that, um, and that's what a lot of the therapeutic practices are just things you can do in life often or so in one of these categories are just endless. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have a uh, favorite practices? I love shaking. So that's just like a put on a drum track and it's just like, and then you, um, the first part of it is you are shaking your body. You can just start bouncing. And over time, your body starts to move you, your body starts to shake and discharge. Um, and you get into these spontaneous, like where your body's just shaking and releasing. It's, um, it's similar to the practice. What it is the practice of, um, when in, in nature, if you in the wild, in the animal kingdom, you'll see like if a cheetah or a lion chases a gazelle or for, for example, and the gazelle gets away, it'll shake. It'll discharge all of that energy and all of that energy right away. And if it doesn't shake, it'll die. It needs to discharge. And all animals do this. Even a deer that's like eating grass, if it hears a, a stick breaking, it'll tense up. And adrenaline will flood, but then it'll see it's safe and it'll slowly start shaking. Its ears will shake. Its skin will start to shake. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's embedded in, in the design to discharge the energy. And we forgot. And, you know, in, in the natural, in the animal kingdom, if they don't, they see this in polar bears and Peter Levine talks about this in his book is they um, say they're hunting a polar bear and they tranquilize a polar bear and he's running. And then all of a sudden he gets put into freeze. Um, and he, when he wakes up, they have to make sure that they, he discharges. He has to complete his action. He has to run and shake it off. If he doesn't do that, the polar bear will die. It, the system cannot live with that much energy and pent up energy in the system. Hmm. And the human day to day we're met with trauma or frightening condition or frightening um, scenarios where we, (laughs) and we don't discharge. Yeah, for sure. And all of that is left in the system. And that's partially what PTSD is, depression, anxiety, the numbing, all our mental, a lot of our mental health problems are because we haven't discharged. And the shaking practice is a really simple trauma release practice. It's an embodiment practice. It's a spiritual practice. The, the Bitwi in Africa do this as well. They shake to connect to source. It's such a, such a simple practice and anybody mm. can do it any, at any time. And you feel great after. Uh, yeah. I'm just astonished by the disconnection uh, that exists within industrialized societies, which for 
perspective is we have not been industrialized for very long. Like the industrial age only came, what was it in the 1940s? And so prior to that, like the bulk of our species would have been moving and doing things in the natural world. And I think increasingly our species has got to be in cubicles or on assembly lines or sitting, yeah, just sitting in air conditioned homes, which are great, but not going out and running through the forest or not carrying, chopping the wood and carrying the water. And so movement, yeah, just seems like an incredible fundamental aspect of what it is to be the human animal that has been steadily uh, like removed from the equation. So yeah, I definitely can see the advantage of incorporating some intentional like movement processes and inviting people to be in their physical self once in a while. Mm-hmm. And and it's so uh, like it's heartbreaking to see how many of us um, are so afraid to move. Like so, some people are really, you know, they, in our, we have Bufo retreats we do in Mexico and when we do shaking every single day and the first day people are like, what? we're going to move our body. Like, Oh, this is so weird. Like there's so much resistance. You don't want to look silly or if you're doing it wrong. And there's so much conditioning to a simple practice of just like, right. (laughs) We're so, so conditioned. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's anything we can do um, to liberate expression is, is, is integration. Anything we can do to liberate expression, be in our body. It's going to help. Mm. Um, what are the retreats that you do? Tell us more about that. Yeah. So we just started doing Bufo retreats. So they're uh, nine day and we're going to be working on creating shorter days. Um, want to share about it. Yeah. You sit with the medicine nine, nine times. So that's with the toad. Um, we- nine times with the most potent substance for altering one's state of consciousness in like a week okay cool yeah yeah it uh, ends up being a 14 day uh, retreat the first day we um, we do breath work so we incorporate conscious connected breath work before during and after to help uh, balance out the nervous system to help regulate the nervous system um, but also and also doing combo beforehand to help clear out the system to help even clear out the system of all the the physical toxins the energetic toxins and then we sit with with the medicine and we also have um, two to three days after of integration we do transformative art and and throughout it all that we sprinkle in practices meditation practices um, connection exercises any anything to deepen connection and trust with one another and and also deep deep shadow work that it's that's what it is uh 14 days of d- diving deep in with your deep into yourself and into the great mystery which is yeah deep and vast mm-hmm. i realized that we probably haven't spent as much time as we could on integration so as we start to wrap up um yeah, we should definitely get into the nitty gritty and the importance of how the after the sober components of the healing process, how influential those can be for people's journey. Because mm-hmm. it, it's it's the other half of the process. Like a lot of people think like, yes, there's one, I, I mentioned it earlier. Yes, the experience in self can be deeply healing, especially when you're working to resolve deep trauma that's or energies that's been in the nervous system. When that's discharged, there can be a liberation. There can be a new sense of joy and love and connection. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the other half of the work 
is done outside of the ceremony. It, otherwise, you're just going to be chasing peak experiences, right? You can be using the medicines as a crutch to like, oh, I have another thing issue I need to work with. I'm going to go back and, and you know, and we see that. Um, so integration is about now that you had, have had these actualizations or, or sorry, these realizations, how are you going to actualize them into your life? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? What, what are you going to do to live that teaching more fully to embody it? Like we're talking about so much about, about embodiment. What are you going to do to embody that teaching so that you can bring it forward into the world, right? To mm-hmm. be that, not just for, for yourself, but also for the collective. I uh, received a teaching from one of the Squamish uh, elders in in the what's known as Vancouver area. That w- is, it's really easy to go and Sundance for a week every year. And he was saying this in the context of a music or transformational uh, festival. And he was speaking to a young man and saying, like, look, like it's really easy to come to these settings and have these like ineffable magical experiences and to be like, wow, it's so beautiful. And then to go back to the waking world, the real world and forget about what happened in these contexts. And that came hearing that came around a time in my life where I I forget where I heard it, but also this invitation to recognize that we don't do psychedelics or any kind of transformational experience, whether it's meditation or journaling or whatever, so that while we're doing it, we're a better person. We do it so that we can improve our life, our every waking moment. And I think that I, again, just for myself, um, in the beginning, I did not understand that as a teenager into my early twenties, I really, the immensity of what I was taking on and engaging with was so complex and it was such a new arena and I didn't have a ton of guidance. I only got to check out like testimonies online because I didn't have any mentors who were well-versed in these, in this field. And so just figuring it out, I was like, okay, like I got to be really prepared so that when I'm high, I can like not fall on my face or like mess up in a big way. And then when I got out of it, I would like pat myself on the back and be like, good job. Good job. You didn't mess up. Okay. Like give it some time. And then uh, I'll go back into the arena in like another six months or whatever. And increasingly I've, it's just dawned on me like, holy cow. Like, no, I, I'm not doing it so that I have fun in that. Like you said, that peak experience in that one four hour or 12 hour period or 15 minutes or whatever, like no, I'm going into these arenas so that I can learn things that are true about the broader experience. And then I can continue to like hone and find ways of skillfully applying like love and kindness and compassion and living with purpose. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd I'd be curious what your journey is with that, that theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like the analogy that came to me is breaking the mold. So we've lived, we've created like our our hermit shell or the mold of our being. And we go and we often go into these spaces because we're unsatisfied in some way with our current mold, right? Otherwise, why would, why would we go in there (laughs) if you're fine? Great point. (laughs) And if you are fine and if you're feeling like life's gravy, then don't, it's perfect. You don't need to work on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but most people come into these spaces because they need help. They need to change something. Then they don't know what it is. Like they've, the mold they created, 
the environment they created isn't working. Mm-hmm. You go into a, a, a transformational experience. Maybe it's a, an IO ceremony or a retreat. And this is really um, what happens when we go away to do something for, say, like five days or seven days. And we come back and we come back into our old mold, but we're different. We've grown. And now we're just like, oh, my God, this doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> but everything's the same. The bedroom's the same. The habits are the same. The routine is the same. You wake up and you're like, well, I don't want coffee anymore. I, I didn't drink it <laughs> the whole time I was in the jungle, but it's here. So I'm going to make another. And you just go back into the mold. So it's, it's about breaking the mold. So mm creating something different for yourself. And that means reevaluating your routine, maybe putting in a new um, a daily routine, if that's a morning practice or an evening practice or changing your room around. This is one that recently came to me so that your subconscious mind doesn't have an old mm-hmm. pattern to latch onto. Yeah. These maybe- triggers that you established in a place where you were suboptimal or whatever. Yeah. And like, I have an altar. So, you know, go to your altar and like, look at the things on there, like what doesn't resonate with you anymore? Purge your closet clothes. Like if you're just, you know, just get rid of that old, old stuff, donate it. Um, And it really is about putting together new self-care practices. If you got any downloads in your ceremony of like, Oh, I need to be kinder to my dad, or I need to make, have this conversation, or I need to spend more time with the ocean. Sometimes we get these really deep insights and when we don't follow through on them. So making sure you you follow through on the the teachings that came through yeah. because it's like, what a gift. You were just gifted with like such profound insight straight from within yourself of what is going to help you. You got mm-hmm. the answer to your question. Now do it. <laughs> this is something that I personally struggle with is holding myself accountable and using, I'm not quite sure, like tools, I guess, to keep track of what the insights are and continue to orient to them with some amount of rigor. So yeah. How, how would you help someone like me? To follow through on the, the teachings with, with, with rigor? Yeah. Or? Like say, say I came out of a ceremony um, and this has happened before where I'm like, wow, like clarity and okay. I know these things I need to change. And what I've done in the past historically is, go into the regular life and I'll just continue to repeat them in my head. And the ones that are most urgent near the top of the list, I'll try and deal with quite quickly. And I think I do a fair job of that. Um, But there's inevitably a sense that I'm missing things or that I'm forgetting some of the nuances and that I'm not even sure what those are. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's a bunch of confusion. My integration Mm -hmm. could definitely use some work. Yeah. So right off the bat, like writing them down, like I always recommend journal the next day as much as you can of what you remember from your experience, the teachings, even that in itself will can sprout a new stream of consciousness, another Mm. fresh. uh, So you can pick up right where you left off, right? You can pick up that thread um, to get more of those teachings. Um, and also speaking about it with the trusted friends, sometimes just speaking more about it, will help to uncover more depth to it. And then to keep things really simple, this, what we like to do is just knowing what you know now. So say you've reflected on your experience, you've journaled, what is one thing you can do to live that 
knowing or that teaching more fully. Mm -hmm. And it's specific and it's practical and you can act on it. So you know that you can complete, you've completed it so that you know when you've completed it. Yeah. I I feel like that is what I have been doing. Um, The journaling to me isn't as structured as perhaps it could be. And I'll, I'll make a, I'll make a point of attempting to do that in a more precise way. Um, But I am somebody who writes quite frequently. And I think that it, it happens somewhat unintentionally. And I, I long ago recognized the value of expressing vulnerable sentiments um, when it felt really sincere and important. And so I do make a point of talking to those around me about what's going on, especially when I'm having like the sense that like, oh, this could be really important. Um, and then also the notion of like, okay, identifying the most critical part um, and trying to orient behavior towards that. I still get this sense though, and maybe this is just something I need to meditate on more that um, there's elements of the, the learning that are escaping through my fingers an inefficiency Mm -hmm. of sort. And yeah, I'm not quite sure what to say about that. No, I think it's also very normal. Like so much happens in those spaces and we can only retain like so much of it. And I, I think like, yeah, as long as you're getting the juicy bits, the stuff that like you, you know, for sure what the message was and acting on those. And mm-hmm. then the other stuff, it's like the, the seeds have been planted in, mm-hmm. in the subconscious mind, in the fertile soil, in the subconscious, yeah. and they're going to sprout on their own time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think there's this expectation I have of like, especially as I get more familiar with these realms and more comfortable of like being somehow perfect or flawless in the like retention and ability to act. But uh, what has felt nourishing and sustainable for me thus far is this notion of maybe attending to like the 80% that is the most critical that's possible to like act upon just with the one or two subtle change or not subtle, but one or two um, particular changes. So thanks for Mm -hmm. encouraging that and seeing that or suggesting that that does have value. Yeah. Yeah. Each on its own time. And, and also like revisiting those, revisiting your notes, like a month, two, three months later, mm. sometimes you'll, you'll be like, Oh yeah, <laughs> this. Okay. Okay. I know where to do now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Knowing that like you got a lot of, you know, you got material to work with for like the next couple months, like the next year we could, you can be integrating a session for months. Mm. Right. So it's a, totally. there's so much, there's so much juicy bits in there. For sure. Well, I think in the interest of time, we should start to wrap up here. Mm-hmm. Um, before we do, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak a little bit more about how people can find you. And before you do so, to let the audience know that I myself have sat in ceremony with Aga and her partner, Deus, um, a number of times, I think like four, four or five. Um, and I have nothing but amazing things to say for the interest of like client confidentiality, these are often happening in um, group settings. So there's uh, a privacy that comes with observing someone else's experience. And I don't want to disclose anything that happens, but um, there have been some really incredible uh, moments of awareness being born and um, transformation that's occurred before my eyes. And I have, been struck by the grace and the insight and the poise that um, you, especially Aga, are able to bring in these situations. And so I wanted to offer you a very sincere thank you and acknowledgement of the 
skill that you bring. And it's really evident of a lot of training and um, attention to detail and compassion. So for anyone who's interested and has the means to connect with you, I'd really (laughs) suggest they do because I can't think of someone better to do this work with. Thank you. Sincerely received. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is definitely my my heart's work. Yeah. Offer it from from yeah, that really deep place within me and it it took a while for me to actually speak about it. I was doing it in secretly for for a really long time and really scared to to speak about the work that I was doing. Um so it's it feels it feels good to finally be here and and speaking about it in more transparency and and in openness because it these yeah my my interest is it sounds cheesy but it's the liberation of of the human the human of each individual but the collective and there's so much suffering out there and especially now so much pain mm-hmm. that can be so easy like the the salve is here like the, like the it's here like the the awakening is here um, mm. to, to serve. So I'm serving that for those people who are ready to, to, to step into their healing. Yeah. So you can find me, um, combo flow, K A M B O F L O W Y. That's combo. And we talked about it um, briefly in the beginning. You can find me through there. And then the part, the site that my partner and I share is the Soma heart. And that's breathwork and bufo and um, and our our as we move into um, I don't want to call it psychotherapy but our therapeutic approach to um, these spaces that's the platform for that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um, just before I let you go, I have one more question, and it's about the work. Your work takes so many different directions like you just mentioned and I'm yeah. What is it that gives you, or like, why is it that you have those many streams as opposed to just picking one and focusing on that so fully? Um, at this moment, I'm actually working on consolidating it like this. Like I, I mentioned, I'd, I'd been quite fragmented the last couple of years, um, living two lives. There was like health coach, Aga, Candida cleanser. That's what I've been doing for the last 10 years as well. So if you had gut health issues and Candida, which I did, I was that. But then there was that deep like Scorpio side of me, which is plant medicine, which is psychedelics, which is messy, cathartic, emotional trauma, traumatic releases, all that. And I didn't know how to bridge it. So I was kind of living two, two worlds. And I've in recent years, in the last two years, recognizing that I'm the I'm actually the bridge right now. And in my own work is learning how to bridge those worlds to bring them together. Cause it often does feel like I'm an octopus and I've got tentacles yeah. and so many things, right? Breathwork and combo and bufo and yoga. And because I was a yoga teacher, I am a yoga teacher, this and that. And it's like recognizing what do all these things have in common? Oh, it's like healing and me. So it's like working to, to, to bring all that together. So I am personally in that process of, of um, amalgamating all of it into a practice rather than having it being separate. But for now, also just for, for easy access ability for people to find me, there's Candida world, combo world, Bufo world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And breathwork world. Yeah. But, but all of them, you know, they're all doing the same thing, right? Every single thing is helping us come back to, 
to that um, sovereign place of liberation, of clarity, mm-hmm. of connection to ourselves, to one another, to the natural world. It, it's we're all they're all pointing to the same thing. Beautiful, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think it's a good place to end it. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Until mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Ciao. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. If you want to keep the conversation going, feel free to reach me at my email. It's hi at blakerupert.com. Once again, that is hi at blakerupert.com. And until the next time, may truth and knowledge continue to prosper.